Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and it is literally good morning. It's about 6.40 in the morning right now as I'm recording this, and the heart behind it is having an early Sunday morning sunrise service. I know that we can't do this together physically. I had the idea to do this outside, but the threat of weather is keeping me inside this morning. But literally, as I teach through the message this morning, the sun is going to be rising in the east. And the heart behind that is as the women were coming to anoint Jesus' body for his burial after it had already been placed in the tomb that Sunday morning, they were met by an angel declaring that Jesus had risen from the dead, even though he had been crucified. As we go through 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, this is the subject matter upon which we stand as believers in Jesus Christ. This is why we gather weekly on Sunday, not on any other day of the week. It's in remembrance of his resurrection. So what I want to invite you to do this morning is turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Because 1 Corinthians 15 is all about believing in the resurrection of Jesus and what that means about our own personal resurrection. So I've titled this morning's message, Empty Graves. Not just Jesus' empty tomb, but as we sit in a world where every single human being that we know passes away and their bodies are placed into graves. Where's our hope? What is our hope? Why do we have hope in Jesus Christ that there's coming a day when we will be raised up with him and be with him for all eternity? That is the subject matter of 1 Corinthians 15. So as always, before we open the word, before we spend time at our Lord's feet, let's run to his great throne in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. We give you thanks for this day, just as we give you thanks for every day, Lord. But this day we have as a tradition, and it's a good tradition, Lord, that where we proclaim to the world and to ourselves that our God became like us, you lived amongst us, You lived a perfect and sinless life. You freely handed over yourself as a sacrifice on our behalf. The sins that we deserve to die for, you died for. That could be a miserable emotion to think about. But the hope, the praise, the thanks, the wonder is found in the power of your resurrection. Because every other person, Lord, that we've ever experienced, when they die, they remain dead. And here we have the testimony of witnesses who saw you die, and they saw you risen again. We have the Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that proclaims this truth to us, Lord, and again, we, we stand in this hope. The only reason I am recording this message right now, the only reason people are listening to it, Lord, is because of our hope that is in you, that there's coming a day when you are going to lift us up into your presence, and we're going to open our eyes, and we're going to stare into the face of our God and to our Savior. So thank you for that hope, Lord. Fill us with your spirit now as we open up your word, Lord. Give us understanding. Speak to us right where each one of us are in our circumstances, Lord. You know, and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians is a letter by Paul to the Corinthian church, but it's, it reads as a question and answer. You can tell that Paul has received a bunch of questions from believers in Corinth because they have a lot of issues going on. There's debates, there's, there's sin that's going on, there's a lot of good things and bad things that are, that are going on. In chapter 15, Paul is turning his attention to the resurrection, and the question that Paul has 
has been asked is that there are some people in the midst of the body of Christ there that are saying that there is no resurrection from the dead. And this is what Paul is addressing. So this begins with, and this is fascinating to me, because as Paul turns his attention to that question, he turned his the foundation of his answer is the gospel before he even addresses the question and answers the question. So in chapter 15, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. It's a noun, which I preach to you. It's the same word in the verb form. I preached this good news to you. I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, which also... You received, you took it to yourself, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Saved from what? You were rescued, rescued from sin, and ultimately we're going to be talking about this morning the effects of sin, which is death. This is what we have been rescued from and saved from. If you hold fast, if you possess that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, and it's literally, unless you believed without cause, without reason. Verse 3 says, For I delivered to you, I handed over to you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul took the gospel to himself, took Jesus to himself. And here's what he handed over. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, he woke up the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, who was Peter, then by the twelve, by five hundred at once, by James, and by Paul himself. Paul continues on. This is what we're going to spend a lot of time this morning, so I encourage you to have a pen and paper out. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Bible, just reading verses. Because again, it is according to Scripture. It's according to the Old Testament and to the New Testament that we have our understanding of what has occurred in history, which points to the hope that we stand in today and points to the hope that we have in the future when Jesus returns. So when Paul is proclaiming to them and reminding them the gospel that he had communicated to them, the communication was that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. As we sit in the New Testament Gospels, Jesus spent a lot of time, there's, there's repetitious reminders and teachings that he gave to his disciples that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. He turns his attention to that fully and repetitiously in Matthew chapter 16 after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that they are looking for to deliver them from not only their worldly circumstances, but from the circumstance that we all sit in, which is sin and in death. It says that Jesus, from that time, this is Matthew 16, 21, from that time, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Again, we see as we travel along through the Gospels that this was a confusing teaching for the disciples that they didn't understand. But this wasn't only a private teaching. This is something that Jesus also publicly taught. In John chapter 2, he said, destroy this temple. And he was referring to his body. And in three days, I will raise it up. We're going to sit in a lot of the, the heart and the reason and the purpose behind Jesus' death and behind his resurrection. In John chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, Jesus says this, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. Again, just incredible declarations. So we sit in the end of every single one of the Gospels. 
The New Testament communicates to us the witness of Jesus' death. His arrest, his trials that he went through, the scourging that he endured, being crucified on the cross. And I'm, I've written down the, the, the passages in Matthew 27 where it says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. That is the moment of his death. Joseph of Arimathea was the one who went and requested the body of Jesus Christ. He was granted that, so he went and he took the body of Jesus off of the cross. He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it into a tomb, into a grave. But the understanding that Jesus claimed that he was going to rise again We're not fully aware of how the disciples were sitting in this because the testimony of the Gospels, it seemed that they were sitting in fear, they were sitting in doubt, they were sitting in lack of understanding, they were confused, they were hurt, they were emotional, they were praying. Their whole world had just become undone. But the religious leaders who had just... uh, instituted and and put forth Jesus to die on the cross, they remembered his words. So they sought Pilate and they had his tomb sealed and guarded so that the disciples, their claim was that, uh, that they would come and steal his body and lie and say that he had risen from the dead. So we can sit in the New Testament scriptures and say, according to scripture, here is how Jesus rose again from the dead. Here is his resurrection that we can point to. But as Paul is writing this, as he is going to the different communities and preaching the gospel, he is sitting in the Old Testament scriptures for proclaiming our understanding of the death of the anointed one, of the Messiah. The first place that we see this in the Bible is in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3 is dealing with the fall of man, our rebellion, and our disobedience against our Creator. And as God is addressing the sin of Adam and Eve and the serpent, as he's speaking to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He says, he shall bruise, he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first proclamation of the gospel, the first proclamation that there is hope, that, there, that there's a war, a conflict going on. And this proclamation of victory, that this seed of, of Eve, he is going to crush the head of the enemy, of the serpent. And even as we travel through Corinthians, we're going to see this, this enemy, this ultimate victory. The last, the last thing to have victory over is death. Again, all this pointing to the resurrection. But you shall bruise his heel. Again, this, this prophecy that the enemy is going to bruise the anointed one. In Psalm 22, I would highly encourage every single one of you to sit in this psalm in, um, in your own prayer time, in, your own, in the quietness of your soul with your God because Psalm 22 begins with a phrase that Jesus says while he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it really gives us the, the, um, the heart of Jesus as he is on the cross dying for the sins of humanity. But Genesis, or sorry, Psalm 22, 15 says, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt. Again, this is Jesus speaking on the cross. My tongue clings to my jaws. He's talking to his father. You have brought me to the dust of death. Again, the prophecy of his death according to scriptures. Isaiah 52 and 53, this is another passage, the end of 52 all the way through 53 that I would encourage you to go and to read. But I'm going to read uh, verses 5 through 12. It says, he, again, this is talking about the servant. This is talking about Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
By his stripes, we are healed. All we, like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord Yahweh has laid on him, laid on him, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet, he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For, and here's the prophecy directly, he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, and this is God, my people, the nation of Israel, and ultimately all of creation, he was stricken. They made his grave, again, he has died. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Again, Joseph laying him in his tomb, in a rich man's tomb. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, it pleased the Lord, it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And again, as we're turning to this, this is also a prophecy in regards to his resurrection. He's talking about the one who was just cut off in his grave and his death. How is it that he can see, he shall see his seed? It's because it's a prophecy of his resurrection. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Told in Hebrews 12, it's for, it's, he despised the shame of the cross, but the joy that was set before him, the labor of his soul, that satisfaction is why he endured the cross. For you, for me, for human beings to be in his presence for all eternity. By his knowledge, my righteous servants shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Yet I encourage you to go and read Psalm 22 and know that that song was written a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. Isaiah 53, Isaiah wrote this prophecy over 700 years before Jesus died on the cross according to scriptures. But not only is his death according to scriptures, so is the resurrection. As we sit in the New Testament, again at the end of the Gospels, we have that testimony that as the women are coming to anoint his body for burial, they are met with an angel who says, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Behold, I have told you. And then we have that testimony as the disciples hear and they go. There's different scenes where Jesus appears, where he reveals himself, where they're surprised, they're shocked, they're, they're listening to him, they're sharing meals with him. But while they're there in Galilee, we get this, this phrase out of Matthew 28, 17. It's that when they saw him, they worshiped him. And this is the reality that we all have to set in. Every single one of us sits in the truth, and that that thing that is right before all of us that we want to ignore, that there is coming a day when we are going to breathe our last. And our family and our friends are going to mourn our death. 
and our passing. Our bodies are going to be placed into a box, into the ground, or they're going to be uh, go to a crematory where we're going to be cremated and our bodies are going to be placed into an urn, into a box, and our bodies will be reduced to ashes. And we all have to sit in the question, what's the point of this life? Why am I here? Where have I come from? If this is all there is, and I have a really good life, I have a great wife, I have wonderful kids. I have a wonderful family with a relationship with my parents and with my sister and with my in-laws. I love you, the congregation that I worship our God with. I have a really good life. I have a good job. Um, I serve other people. I'm not in life to serve myself and for my own wealth and all those kinds of things. But I wake up every single day that if God does not exist and if Jesus has not risen from the dead, what is the point? Why am I here? Again, this is everything that is communi- being communicated is the disciples see this man that they saw die. They are now seen in the flesh, resurrected. None of us have ever experienced that. Every single person that we have, have ever witnessed to die, they are still in their grave. Where's the hope? Again, it's this testimony that we are sitting in. Here's our hope. They saw this man after he died alive again. And it's not just some weird thing that they're going through that, well, maybe he really didn't die on the cross. It's not that at all. Because again, this is according to scriptures. There is a plan behind this. There is a purpose behind this. There is an intention behind this. There is prophecy behind this that points to the reality is here is man's life. And it is wrapped up in this singular man named Jesus. And he was named Jesus because he saves us from our sins. And he saves us from our sins because of the wages of our sins, the consequence of our sins is death. This is what he has saved us from, and this is what he has rescued us from. But even as the disciples, they are seeing him, they are worshiping him, there's still confusion going on. The gospels all tell us that they're, they're sitting in confusion, and as they're sitting in that confusion before Jesus ascends to heaven, as they witness that event, you can look at Matthew 28 at the very end, but I'm going to read through uh, at the end of Luke 24. Jesus is saying to him, thus it is written. Jesus is talking about the Old Testament. And thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And here's also what is necessary, that repentance, that turning away from our death, turning away from our sins, turning away from all the enticements of this world and the things that distract us, turn. And the remission, the removal of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, not just the nation of Israel, but to all nations, to all peoples, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And we're going to come back to that uh, in a few minutes, so hold on to that. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise, which is the Holy Spirit of my Father upon you. But tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And we see that. There in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit is sent and they are empowered to be witnesses of Jesus. But as we sit in the prophecy of the resurrection, Jesus again as he is teaching and as he is preparing beforehand, he says in Matthew 12, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's something specific with three days shows up in repeated areas in the Old Testament, specifically in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, it says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Again, something specific about that third day in Genesis, on the third day of creation, this is the day where 
the land is separated from the seeds, uh, the seas, and that plants are made. And these plants, they are yielding seed and fruit according to its kind, seeming to point to Jesus again. He, it, it said, we are going to see that he is referred to as a seed and the, the fruit of what he is sowing, of what he is producing, again, is our life. The imagery that is there, that he is, according to a singular kind, he is God and he yields something. He produces something, which is he produces those that are like him. He created man in his image. We lost that image, but again, we will bear his image in the future. In 2 Kings chapter 20, as Hezekiah is dying and he prays to God to extend his life. Isaiah speaks to him, on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Specific prof uh, prophecies about the resurrection of the Messiah are very few in the Old Testament, but one that is repeated in the book of Acts comes from Psalm 16, beginning in verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord before, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for... This is Jesus speaking to his father. You will not leave my soul in Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for, for hell. You will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Again, this is directly as David is the one who is writing this psalm. We see in the book of Acts that David is not referring to himself because David's body is buried in the ground. He's referring to the Messiah who did not see corruption. In Psalm 2, two I would declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Again, believed to be a prophecy in regards to his resurrection. In Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This prophecy in regards to his ascension. Again, as Jesus was alive and he is teaching this scene with Martha in John chapter 11 as Lazarus, her brother, has passed away. He is dead. He is buried and in a tomb. And Jesus is having this interaction with Martha. Martha says to Jesus, I know that he, Lazarus, will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And this is, this is before his death. This is before his resurrection. She says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And in that scene in John 11, Jesus goes and he calls Lazarus out of his grave, demonstrating to all that were there witnessing this, that that man has power over death. Even though Lazarus ended up dying again, the testimony, the, the witness, what, what the purpose of that is to, for us to understand it, to know that Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. In Romans 4, we have this direct declaration that Jesus was declared to be the son of God. So that confession that Martha said, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So in Romans 1.4, we have this declaration that it is Jesus' resurrection from the dead that declares to us, that preaches to us, that communicates to us that he is the very Son of God. 
Here is the creator of the heavens and the earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son, before the foundation of the world, before God even created anything, here is plan A. The Son was going to be come in the image of the creation and he was going to die for our sins and for our rebellion and for our transgressions. And Paul, again, as he's communicating this gospel, not only did Jesus die according to scriptures, not only did he rise again according to scriptures, he was seen. This whole idea of the witnesses. In the future, we have this prophecy in regards to, it's in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that God will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Future, in regards to the nation of Israel, that there's coming a day that they, it says, yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. For those of you who have lost a child, you can sit in the shoes of the mourning and the grief that is being proclaimed on that future day when they will look upon him. In the book of Acts, as we sit in this, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, there is this immediate need to replace Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, understanding the command that Jesus had given to the disciples, all of the followers, but specifically the apostles that they were to be witnesses. We need to go and tell the world what we have seen. And we sit in that as we've been going through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4, verse 33. This is, this is what I pray for every single one of us. It says that great power, with great power, the apostles, they gave witness specifically to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. When I, uh, as I've taken notes in my Bible as we're studying Acts and as we're traveling through it, every single time the resurrection is mentioned, I write resurrection in the, in the margin of my Bible. And there's not a page in there where the resurrection is not mentioned. Great power, with great power, may he allow us to give witness to the reality of his resurrection that we stand in and that we hope in today. And may his great grace be upon us all. But as they're preaching that message, there are those who are greatly disturbed by that message, who did not agree with the resurrection. And now this gets into where Paul is addressing this, the question in regards to, do the dead raise from the, do the dead resurrect from the dead? Yes or no? And here's the question. So he begins this, answering this, by preaching the gospel first. And then in verse 12, we're going to skip down to verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It is fruitless. It is powerless. And you are still in your sins. How miserable would that be? And that's what he says, verse 18. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus have perished. All those who have died in faith in Christ Jesus, then they've all perished. If in this life only 
we have hope in Christ. We of all men, we are of all men the most pitiable, the most miserable. This is what I was saying earlier, just that repetitious thought that I have when I wake up, when I go throughout my day, when I lay my head on the pillow. I am thankful. I have a tremendous amount of, of praise and gratitude that is constantly swirling around in my mind and my heart for the reality of the resurrection. Because I think about that. This is the foundation for me personally of entering into this relationship with the God who created us. Is there a God? Yes or no? And I had to answer that for myself. And you have to answer that for yourself. And I concluded that yes, absolutely. When I look at creation, when I look at this world and existence, this I am made. Something made me. Who is this something? And then, again, for me, it's, it's been brought to and led to the testimony that we have in the Old Testament and the New Testament in regards to who this God is, how he created the heavens and the earth, why we exist, why there's sin in the world, why there's death in the world, why there's evil in the world, why there's good things, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? These questions that we sit in, even right now in our cult, why is this going on in our world as we sit in a disease that kills people? Why are we going through all of this effort to preserve the lives of not just ourselves and our household, but to protect the lives of other people? Why are we in all this isolation intentionally? Why are these circumstances going on? And again, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, it's all pointless, it's meaningless, it's fruitless. But he has, so he continues on in verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man Jesus also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterwards, those who were Christ at his coming, this hope of Jesus's soon return, his coming. He will be revealed from heaven, can't wait. Verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed, listen to this, is death. Death is an enemy that will be destroyed through his power, the power of his resurrection. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who has put all things under him is accepted. Talking about the Father. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So some in this community are preaching that there is no resurrection. We see in the Gospels that the Sadducees, so as the, as the Jewish religion was divided into different sects, just like Christianity is divided into different sects, division sections it would be it's easy to understand as we think about catholics and protestants all believers in christ but there's a division there there's different interpretations same thing in the in the bible that we see the sadducees and the pharisees the sadducees did not believe in the resurrection the pharisees did we see paul manipulate that tension in acts 23 but as Paul is bearing his testimony, as he is sharing the gospel in Acts chapter 17, he is in Athens. And he says this, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by the man, Jesus, who he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Again, the resurrection of Jesus is pointing to, is pointing all of humanity that there is judgment coming, that there is justice coming, that there is a resurrection coming. But when they heard this, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection from the dead, a bunch of them mocked. Some wanted to hear it again, but others, you're crazy. There is no resurrection of the dead. In the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, they shall awake. Some are going to wake up to everlasting life, and some are going to wake up, resurrect, to the shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus talked about this in verse, uh, John chapter 5, verse 28. He says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good, which literally doing good is to have faith in Jesus, the one whom God the Father sent. So those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil, which is rejecting Jesus, to the resurrection of condemnation. So everybody is going to be called out of their graves. And after humanity is called out of the graves, those who have had faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to be welcomed in to the image of God for all eternity. Those who have rejected Jesus in who he is as God, as Savior, as Redeemer, those who do not accept his death on behalf of their sins, those who do not believe in his resurrection, their resurrection will be to that of condemnation. We see in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham's faith. Again, all these being uh, examples of testimony from the Old Testament that there is a resurrection. Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham's faith that when he was tested, and this is in Genesis 22, and he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Abraham's faith, he concluded that God was able. God had the power to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Job, as Job is sitting in his suffering. In his trial, he asks this question in Job 14, 14. He says, if a man dies, shall he live again? And he answers the question in chapter 19, verse 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth Again, this is a, Job is a contemporary of Abraham, living 2,000 years before Jesus. Out of Job's mouth, I know that my Redeemer is going to stand on this earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. He knows he will be resurrected. Whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And hold on to that yearning. Hold on to that yearning every single day. But hold on to it for the end of this message. Because that's the, that's the heart. That's the, uh, the yearning that we are going to end with this morning. In Psalm 49 verse 15 says that God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. He shall take me to himself. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit. That, that imagery is the, the pit of the grave. Out of the miry clay, he set my feet on the rock, established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. 
Many will see it in fear. And again, the idea of fear is revering and being in awe of God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. I love it in Revelation. So when Jesus is revealing himself to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, giving this revelation to humanity of what is going to occur in the last days before Jesus returns, which we see in Revelation 19. In chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus declares himself to John, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. As John is beginning this letter in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him, so the Father who is and who was and who is to come, God the Father, and From the seven spirits who are before his throne, title for the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That declaration from God the Father, from God the Holy Spirit, from God the Son, pointing to the reality as we talk about Jesus, who is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. Again, this is what Paul is addressing in this letter to the Corinthians. And now he turns to... There's some who are preaching, right, that that there is no resurrection from the dead. And he's saying, wait a minute, this is exactly what you believed in in the first place. This is what I received and this is what I've communicated to you. This is the gospel in which you stand revolves around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's addressing that. He's bringing clarity. But now some are going to ask the question, well, how are the dead raised? And this is how he answers it. Jump down to verse 42. This is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown. It's placed into the ground like a seed. It's sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. As I'm reading through this, let your mind sit in the reality of What is being communicated to all of us through Jesus, his resurrection from the dead? This is now referring to our resurrection in him. Our body is sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. On that day when God created Adam out of the dust, he breathed into him the breath of life and Adam became a living being. The last Adam, a title for Jesus, became a life giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Again, this is those who are heavenly are those who believe in Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as Redeemer, as resurrected from the dead. Verse 49, and we have borne the image of the man of dust. This is the image that we all bear today. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Being in our sins, we do not inherit the holiness of God. Having our sins atoned for and covered and removed from us through the shed blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ by taking that to ourselves. This is how we inherit his incorruptible nature. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery, something that was not known, but something that has been revealed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, one of a kind. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm going to read through a bunch of verses from the New Testament describing to each one of us how it's through Jesus' resurrection from his grave that that is the power of our rescue, of our salvation from our grave. John, as he, after Jesus' resurrection in John chapter 20, we sit with doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas, what a terrible title that he's been given. But Thomas was questioning. He wasn't there when Jesus first revealed himself to the apostles. He was out. And when he comes back, they're telling him. And Thomas says, unless I can see him with my own eyes, unless I can touch him with my own hands, I won't believe. When Jesus reveals himself to Thomas, Thomas falls down at his feet and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, happy are those, fortunate are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Acts chapter 4. There is salvation, there is not salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to that. Again, Jesus is the only name. We must be saved. We must be saved from our sins, delivered, rescued from this death. In Acts 16, 31, there's this question as we listen to the gospel, as we listen to this information about who Jesus is, about what he's done, about what he's going to do in the future. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to believe, to trust, to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses and he was raised for our justification, that declaration that we have been given the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our hearts, listen, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have died, those who are in the grave. 
their graves are going to be empty. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. To the Philippian church in chapter 3, verse 9, be found in him. Not having your own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That we may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means we may attain to the resurrection from the dead which the only means we attain to that is through faith in Christ. Peter, as he is beginning his letter in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again. We are born again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Man, what a mouthful. Paul, as he's bearing his testimony in Acts 24, says, This I confess to you, that according to the way which is a a title for being a follower of Jesus, according to the way which they call a sect. So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and the prophets. So believing all things that are written in the Old Testament. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and towards men. We're going to end in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, first eight verses of that chapter. 2 Corinthians is a painful letter to read. As Paul is a pastor pouring out his heart to the congregation there in Corinth. And he gives this testimony to them. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, we groan, we're being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. That this mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He has also given to us the Spirit. It's a guarantee. God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, speaking to us, leading us, empowering us, changing us, transforming us. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This day that we have been given not just Easter not just this day that we call Resurrection Sunday not just every Sunday that we have to gather in the name of Jesus 
but every day that he gives to us is a day where we are walking by faith and not by sight. We have not seen this man with our own eyes that was resurrected from the dead. But we sit in the, the conveyance, the, the preaching of the good news of the gospel that is not just through a singular individual, that is not just through the imagination of some wingnut group, but we sit in the testimony of Scripture of here is the declaration of who God is. Here's his declaration of creation. Here's his heart. Here's his grace. Here's his love. Here's what man who was created in his image looked like that was good and that was perfect. Here's the fall. Here's the rebellion. Here's the disobedience. Here's the sin that entered into the world that radically transformed our image. And we all bear this image of the man of dust. And as God has chosen out of the people to be a witness and to, to be a testimony to all peoples, he revealed himself. He, he gave his words. He gave his voice so that we would know him, so that we would have hope in him. But in that voice, in the Old Testament, the scriptures, we have multiple places that declare to us the reality of resurrection. That death is not the end of the story. That every single human being will come out of their graves. Coming out of the grave in sin to a holy and perfect undefiled being that is defined as perfect light and perfect holiness. Undefiled, no sin, no darkness. There is no entrance into his presence because of the separation that has been caused by sin. And that's where we enter into the testimony of Jesus where he dies for all of our sins on that cross. And his death being a substitute for our death. His death providing a covering for our sins. That as we approach him, we are told that we are blessed because we have been forgiven of our transgressions. We are told that we are blessed because he has covered our sins. We are told that we are blessed because he does not charge to our accounts. He does not impute to us. He does not consider our sins to us. He is, um, again, it's a, this, uh, he has not imputed our iniquity to us. And that declaration is all wrapped up in the reality of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Not just on Easter do we celebrate this. Not just every Sunday as we gather together do we celebrate this. Every moment of every day we are walking by faith and not by sight. We are walking in this hope and this understanding that because that man rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago, when he comes back, I am going to come out of my grave, not in incorruption, not in corruption, but in incorruption. I am going to come out of my grave in his holiness, in his likeness, in his image. I get to declare with Job that this flesh is going to go away, but there is coming a day when I am going to see my Redeemer. I'm going to be like him. I'm going to see him as he is. I'm going to be an inheritor and a possessor of all things that he is and has always possessed from all eternity as God. This is what is being handed over to us. And it is his resurrection and the power of his resurrection that we remain in and abide in that declares this to us. There is a resurrection from the dead, there is a day when we are going to stare our Redeemer in the face, eye to eye, just as we are looking at each other right now. Hope, great hope. Jesus, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We ask, we are asking, Lord, that you would...
Fill us with that hope. Fill us with that understanding. Those who are questioning, questioning the resurrection, questioning salvation. How does all of this work, Lord? That the voice, your voice through your word and through your spirit would overwhelm their minds and their souls. That you would overwhelm all of us every single day, Lord, and the wonder and the hope that we have in you. That as we wake up each day, Lord, we wake up in blessing and rejoicing and joy and in gladness because our Redeemer lives. Our God is not just of our imagination, but you are the true and the living God. We hope in you. We rest in you. We are still in quiet in you. We learn of you. We look to your deeds and your acts, things that you've done in history, Lord, that communicate to us who you are today. It causes us to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see your action and your power in this world today. Your resurrection, Jesus, proclaims to us the core of our hope in which we stand, why we follow you. We love you. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We understand your love for us because you created us. We understand your love for us as you die for us. We understand your love for us as you serve us every day, Lord. Wow. We understand your love for us, Lord, through your promises that you've given to us repetitiously that we know that you live and that we live for you and will live in you and with you for all eternity. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Our Lord bless you greatly. May he reveal himself to you. May his countenance, the image of his face just brightly shine down into your soul, and into your life today. The Lord bless you. I love you, and I miss you tremendously. I do. This is, this is really weird, week after week, um, communicating to a camera rather than being able to walk off of this platform into hugs and the handshakes and the laughter and to watch all the kids running around this sanctuary. So may that day come quickly, but even more importantly, may Jesus come quickly. In Jesus' name.